0: Oh yeah, it's all coming together. Let's get started. Another race for the world's
1: greatest driver, Juan Manuel Fangio. Former world champion Jim Clark left into the lead. That's Clark's Lotus going like a bomb. And James Hunt is the world champion
0: by just one
1: single point. By being a racing driver, you are under risk all the time. And if you no longer go for a gap that exists,
2: you're no longer a racing driver. And that is Michael Schumacher, the head, the world champion.
1: To become a four-time world champion, Sebastian Vettel. Lewis
0: Hamilton, champion of the world. That's for all the kids out there who dream the impossible. Max Verstappen, for the first time ever, is champion of the world. Yeah, oh my God. Max Verstappen! Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome back to F1 in Review, the podcast, episode and show on River Radio where we look back at the news regarding all things Formula 1 and look forward as well to testing and the season to come. Welcome whether you're listening on your preferred podcast provider or indeed live on River Radio or on the listen back section. For those who don't know, I'm Tom. I'm Angus. Hello, I'm Tristan. Well, ladies and gentlemen, the whole Ukraine and Russia situation dominates once again in terms of Formula One and the world more generally speaking. Last episode, we spoke about how the Russian Grand Prix was cancelled for this season, but now it seems it's indefinitely cancelled. Formula One have announced the Russian Grand Prix contract has been terminated, saying that they do not believe it can be held in these current circumstances, and it will not, therefore, go from Sochi to St. Petersburg as planned in 2023. And they've even signaled that the sport won't return to russia as long as vladimir putin is in power of that country what are our thoughts on that not only are you not going to see the russian grand prix in this season but perhaps ever again what are our thoughts on that
1: where do you think it's going to go because there are a lot of rumors and a lot of possible potential tracks out there Uh, my ski instructor yes i have one of those um is pretty determined that we're going back to turkey um i'm i'm less convinced i don't know i i think perhaps they might want to go somewhere somewhere else um because we've had turkey twice twice now and you know it might be off the menu so to speak ha 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 can't resist a, a turkey joke um so i i saw that malaysia were uh putting some interesting things on their their socials they had a picture of them going hmm at the prospect of a Formula One uh, race there so that could be quite cool um, other potential options as well as is, is something like Portimao uh, again pretty cool track to go to the the thing I have in my mind though is whichever one it is it's going to be pretty hard uh, to be worse than the old Russian Grand Prix at Sochi because Sochi is really boring. It's a cool track to drive. I believe that's what the, dri- the drivers always say. Uh, it has long sweeping corners and fast sections and but it doesn't it doesn't really translate to a good race for us fans. So I, I think to be honest I don't really care that we're losing Russia. I just want them to replace it with, with a good option. And I think there are some good options out there. I, mean, I, I still long for our Vietnam race, which unfortunately got cancelled. Do you remember that? Mm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. When that was supposed to happen. So we've got some interesting things going on this year. You know, we, we are going, we're going to new and novel tracks still. I mean, Jeddah is still novel. Miami is new. And now that Russia is gone... But then it looks like we're going to be able to have another new track. Um, could go to Magello or somewhere like that. I think we voiced our dissatisfaction for the concept of a double Austrian Grand Prix last weekend. Yeah, yeah. So uh, maybe not that one. But I don't know. Wh- where would you like to go to in your wildest fantasies, lads?
2: Ooh, um in my wildest fantasies, the Nürburgring Nordschleife. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I appreciate that is absolutely dangerous as anything and like couldn't be held. As a race, um, to be honest, I think that Formula One always talks about itself as a global sport and how it reaches out to everyone. Mm. So, mm. in that case, surely we need a race in Africa. In my I was opinion. thinking, that um, South Africa, the, the obvious choice would be South Africa, yeah, because the, uh, until 1993, there was a Gr- uh, Grand Prix in South Africa at Kyle Um which I'm not actually sure where in South Africa that is, but it's a, it's a track out there. It's still used; it's still a purpose-built racing circuit. I think it still has Grade One. Um, homologation, so it could be hell as an F1 race um, and failing that, I mean there is other race tracks in like, I want to say in like Morocco and Algeria in North Africa um, close to the Mediterranean um, so in my opinion that would be, if it was to make itself a truly global sport, I mean if it was going to make itself a truly global sport, we'd have a race on the Antarctic, um, or the Arctic Circle, but I appreciate <laughs> that's tricky it's no yeah, is it <laughs> exactly? Um, but I, th- I think Kyalami in South Africa would be would be an obvious one in terms of recent ones. I agree with Turkey. I think it just it just works. Um, the drivers like it. Um, it'd be interesting to see if how it was if it was a dry race again because obviously the last two years have been uh, wet slash slippery. Um, yeah. But Malaysia, I mean that that always was popular with the drivers. Um, I like Malaysia. Good yeah, I in Malaysia. Yeah, exactly. And it was it was it was the first ever it was the first ever Herman Tilke designed track which made the F one calendar, and it kind of set the set a bar which wasn't necessarily always met with those tracks. But I think the w- ones like yeah Malaysia, Turkey, Magello would be an excellent shout. I think race in Africa, um, but I th- I think I think a race in Africa for me just to, just to have something different, just to have a different culture, a different um, a different experience for the drivers and for the paddock as well. Instead of just it's all it's all very well populating the calendar with purpose built street circuits in the middle east but i'm in mean, a race in africa i think to make it a truly global calendar would be would fit the bill what about india
1: i, it wasn't I can't that
2: long ago
0: yeah That's i can't so. really remember the indian grand prix at all really i believe it took place last and was it 2012 um well, I, I remember it because long time uh, ago sebastian now,
1: yeah. vettel won his
2: world championship there so that, it, it, that, it wasn't. I, I I can't see that coming back. I remember it dropped off the calendar because there was some law where, um, basically, oh what was it? It was whether Formula One was classed as sport or entertainment, and if it was <laughs> in, in India, That's a great question. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and if and if it was one of the, if it was one or the other, basically it became under the the legislation of the Indian government. It became the one which therefore was taxed more, and therefore they, they therefore they then couldn't afford it. But yeah, I I don't know. I just I didn't think there was they did with that one. They never see much of an appetite. I think with the tracks we've mentioned so far, places like well Malaysia, may, I don't know about that, but places like Magello, Turkey, South Africa. I feel like there is a, a motorsport appetite in Africa. Um, surely, I think if there's one place I'd expect it to be, it would be South Africa, but. I'm not sure about India as an option, personally.
0: I mean, I personally like to go back to the Hockenheim Ring, to be fair. I mean, that may be largely because the last race we saw there was absolute carnage with everyone sliding off. Uh, But I I have great memories from there as well. And as well, by extension, I can't believe... It's been, what, coming to three years now where we won't have a Chinese Grand Prix, and I understand the reasons why we haven't got one this season owing to the the COVID regulations there as well. But when you take a step back and realise that China, which has been there for so long, is now gone. Malaysia is, you know, perhaps returning if the Twitter admins are going to be correct. I don't think but um, it is Tom I exactly. We're if we're being up. more realistic, that's unlikely. Um, and Hockenheim as well, which um, did such a great job and was there for so long. I mean, on and off from 2008, really. Um, and all these have gone really. But yeah, I think that that would be my my go-to one. And I never really understood why it was ditched then um, and didn't make a return in 21. But um, I'd say that would be my one, but then again, that maybe as I say, I mean to my memories of, of one Grand Prix more does, than the rest. Does Jareth uh,
1: mean anything to you? Uh, no, sir. Not a not a MotoGP fan, are we not? Well, so... Oh! Actually, it's a track that, the yeah. rumours have been going on at the moment, because the, the vice president uh, of the track are awaiting response from the regional government um for the circuit de Jerez, i think is how i pronounce it to host an f1 race um that won't be in russia now um jerez as i'm gonna now flick to um is very difficult to overtake at in fact moto gp bikes find it difficult to overtake there so think about how difficult that translates for f1 cars and it's really boring um but that is i think legitimately on the on the table uh, it's another spanish grand prix it's just mm. i no, i really no, hope you. we oh don't go God. there that would be really really boring that would be two boring spanish grand prixs because circuit de catalunya well i i hope they've really cracked out the power tools and done something drastically different with the uh, the track layout this year because that's usually really boring so um jerez or Jerez, Will be you know adding to this the boring Spanish sort of Grand Prix style you know tracks there. I I just wish actually in, in Spain that we could do something really cool. Like imagine imagine the like an F one race along the coast of Barcelona, right? Make it really a circuit de Barcelona. You know, going up Parallel and round Sagrada Familia. The hills are great. Down by the beach <laughs> that'd be awesome. And instead we get stuck in the world's most boring track anyway pretty much um, so I, I i'd like to i present you the option that we although we might be dreaming of these wonderful you know tracks that we could have we might actually be stuck with a really rather boring one um if if certain tracks get
2: their way i i found a, a I was looking at the MotoGP gp calendar it actually reminded me of two more tracks which i remember when i was younger i used to look at motorsport tracks and try and decide which was my favourite. Mm. Um, Knowledge Life always came on top, but two that came to mind. One was, Lag- you know, Laguna Seca in yeah. America. Yeah, with the, that corkscrew corner. Oh, let imagine F1 cars going down there. It's probably not safe, but it's a brilliant <laughs> corner. And the other one was Bathurst in Australia, where they have the... It's a t- Australian touring car race. And it's this insane track, which is basically like part road course. And then, and then it's like a... It's literally... This pit, the pit straight is on the bottom of a mountain and it basically goes up and twists through the mountain like a street circuit complex, goes to the top of the mountain and then literally comes back down again on a street circuit. And then there's a long straight down to the back to the pit straight. Um, and also one more suggestion there is a mot- there's a, a first year, the first time that, uh, ever this year on the MotoGP calendar, there's the Finnish Grand Prix held mm. at the kimmy ring no joke yeah. <laughs> it's the Kim- the kimmy ring as in not the kimmy, kimmy. ring as in the what does it say the kimmy river but i reckon f1 going to the kimmy ring as a tribute
0: to uh, one of its best characters of recent years who knows? who knows I mean that would be an insane type tribute wouldn't it really be treated like a god there <laughs> which with the respect <laughs> to Reichen, and you know I'm not sure he's he's up there with let's say the Schumachers of the world but um, it is very interesting and it's a chance once again for Formula 1 to go and pull something out of nowhere and to show they can be adaptable and flexible as they somewhat were in 2020 when the Covid, uh, COVID uh, Ravage world if you will had to go and adapt or Formula 1 did should I say to stringing together something so there's opportunity there again but just taking us back to the Russian Grand Prix there mm. let's just say there's never <coughs> another Russian Grand Prix but at Sochi or St. Petersburg Mercedes or Mercedes and Benz will have had now this is an interesting bit of trivia I think a 100% record at the Russian Grand Prix
1: yes yes they would have that's impressive because it's not like a one hit wonder track is thats is that is that is that, is that
2: is that going back to the?
0: That is going back to 1913.
2: Yeah, I was going to say there's a joke about how they have won literally every single Russian Grand Prix ever, including that that very notice that very notable win for Willie Shoal in 1914 That's the for one. Benz That's the one. at St Petersburg,
0: that famous race that we all remember. <laughs> Absolutely nothing but net. <laughs> it's impressive
1: and it's you know in fairness like the we had an opportunity last year for mclaren to win it if only the rain didn't get in the way um, i feel sorry for philando L- for norris because um of, you know his his last memory of, of sochi is going to be him yelling no to his uh, race engineer as he slowly skids off the track um so it's safe to say you know the sochi grand prix gave us all a, a you know farewell uh, bit of drama but i'm not going to miss it and to be honest i you know Formula One has made the right decision, pulling from the Russian Grand Prix, um, and given the global attitude to cutting ties with with um, with Russia. Let's face it: if, if management F one management didn't get off their ass and do it, then their sponsors and stuff would have been very jumpy at, at having their logos and whatnot displayed there. So, you know, there was always going to be that pressure um, given how important sponsorship and cash actually is uh to to formula one as a as a as a whole i mean that's the reason for example we lost hockenheim right because i know mm. tom you said a minute ago that you really wanted us to go back to hockenheim i was there for hockenheim in its second to uh, try ultimate i think second to second to last triultimate ultimate race um and We only went because the tickets were stupidly cheap. It was £120 for a three-day ticket, and we got Mm. in the stands. Um in fact do you remember where Sebastian Vettel crashed off um, Oh yes in the oh, yeah. in the second to last race we were sitting literally there but the time before that so we were we had good seats and in formula 1 if you don't know the good seats in formula 1 cost hundreds and hundreds of pounds thousands of pounds you know um especially if you want to go to the British Grand Prix for example you're, you you could easily empty 600 quid out your pocket um, and get mediocre seats um but we had good seats in Hockenheim there was three of us who went and it was 120 pounds each it's that's daft that's so cheap and the reason is because no one was going anymore and this all stems from the fact that uh, into the lead-up of about you know 2016 2017 we had half as many people watching formula one at that period as was was watching five or six years earlier and that's all because under the Eccleston management, under the old guard, it became less and less popular. You know, and and this is why we ended up in weird positions now with tracks, for example, because some of our favourite tracks are under threat, such as Spa, right? Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. such as Monza. And other tracks, you know, Bahrain, are getting 10-year contracts, are getting exclusive deals to display the cars on on their you know on the full broadcast right if you wonder why you can't watch testing this year that's why because Bahrain negotiated to have the first broadcast
2: you know na- um, global broadcast of the cars being the first race rather than the testing it is it is interesting actually as well to be fair we are we can all agree that the F1 calendar is well, it's been going global for a while but it's interesting as well i find how the pandemic and i mean of course we remember i feel like we'll always remember that 2020 season because it was seventeen races in like four and a half months. They had they they had to pick out a load of tracks. I feel like I feel like only six or seven of the original calendar actually went ahead, um, mm. and they just picked mm. out loads of old style tracks. And some of those have remi- like they earlier today extended Imola's contract till twenty twenty five. Yeah. If yep. you told me five years ago that would be back on the calendar, I would have I wouldn't have believed you. Places like Portimao getting a second year, Paul mm. Ricard returning, Zandvoort returning. Zandvoort, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean as much as a couple of those have not given us the most exciting races to, like places like Turkey returning it is interesting how they've also had to go to those European countries and ask for them to host events because whilst they want to expand globally they also have to be wary of a cost cap they have to be wary of a pandemic which is still having economic effects and also be wary of the fact that there's like there's, there's yeah there's racetracks close to home which they can use and they're ready and available, and they always have been. Um, So it's an interesting one. And also because the fact they want... If they want to expand the calendar to... Well, they're going to have 23 races this year, then they have to fill those gaps, and European races absolutely do that. What do we think of Imola? Because,
1: well, I'm a bit torn on it, but I'm interested, Tom, Imola, is it a good
0: track? I think it's history definitely helps. I mean, when we first went to Emelora and went away, I thought, ah, it's a a pretty... Decent track, it it does the job. I didn't leave there thinking, oh wow, where has this been for so long? Like I did say with Turkey, <laughs> for example, which I suppose is you know largely down to the race you you see there and and the like. But um, I'm surprised they've extended it all the way through to 2025. Well, that's that's three years now. And when you consider that they've been so hesitant uh, to extend, as you say, their Spa, Monza. There's been issues with Silverstone as well. I'm surprised where well, they've banked uh, and, and gone in for that one. I, by all means, I. I like to see it there it's not a, a circuit i dislike but it's not one that i think is going to necessarily attract new fans like other circuits are elsewhere in the worlds we see them going to uh, the middle east we say and expanding once again over to uh, east asia um by the reintroduction of the Japanese Grand Prix, for example. So I think it's history certainly helps, but I wouldn't say it's one where if it went or it wasn't given the extension that I'd be yeah, writing, shall we say, to the doors of the FIA, but it may just be me. I think it'll be interesting to see one of Imola's um,
2: histor- uh, historical like drawbacks has been the racing and it's a very tight track and actually we saw last year with the wet race that we had it actually kind of uh countered that which it made for a very interesting race but i think it'll be interesting to see if these cars and the signs from testing look quite good if these cars are able to follow each other more closely that you'd think would hopefully mitigate not just Demolet, any track where following closely has been an issue for example paul ricard has been one where you've got quite a set of swooping ish corners with chicanes and kind of no real not too many long straights So, and places like even like Suzuka where overtaking has historically been difficult it'll be interesting to see if the ground effect that's now come in in the cars will aid overtaking and I think after that we can pass judgment on Imola and whether it's going to be continue to be a, a a solid addition to the calendar as it has been back the last couple of years. Well,
1: George Russell will be hoping that the next trip to Imola will be more successful than his last. Uh, Let's not forget that in 2021, Max Verstappen won Imola. But, uh, yes, George Russell in the Williams came up alongside Valtteri Bottas, went onto the grass and then took both uh, himself and the other um, Mercedes um, out with him. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see um, him hopefully getting a slightly better uh, race than he did last time, but that's really because of its tightness. And so I find tracks like Imola, you know, like Russia, you know, and I suppose, yeah, and, and last year's Barcelona quite interesting because they're not, I don't think they're actually that great tracks, really, or in themselves, but last year they kind of all provided us with a really exciting race. Barcelona last year We ended up having that great chase Between Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton Lewis Hamilton chasing Max Verstappen Down to take the take the win mm-hmm. in Russia we had the, the random wet spell At the very end of the race The rain came on And uh, Lando Norris and the McLaren In the lead decided not to pit for wet tyres And so spun off the track And Lewis Hamilton on the chase Hold on a minute. Uh, mm-hmm. Ended up winning the race and then, of course, we've got Imola, um, which Lewis Hamilton actually went off, if you remember, and crashed into the barriers and said, I'm really sorry, guys. Then uh, the f- flag got red; f- the race got red flagged and he ended up omitting that uh, mistake. Because, ironically, George Russell smashing into uh, Valtteri Bottas, I think, and uh, setting off that weird chain of events. Um, so it is interesting that I think our opinions of these tracks get massively skewed because in Formula 1 we have such short memories but similar to me I, I don't know I, I'm hoping as you say the cars will be able to follow closer but they're not going to get any any thinner and I think that's something that maybe we need to consider in the future because I think looking at these cars these 2022 cars or 2021 cars compared to I mean look at 2004 2005 cars or even 2010 cars they're so much slimmer than um, these ones these cars are really really wide. They are incredibly wide. And then so you know, I I don't know, Imola, I think the jury's still out, but Russia's gonna be replaced and I'm hoping they go for a track that is gonna is worthy to to, to um to take up Formula One rather than just giving it to whoever pays the most money, which would be a real shame.
0: And not only has the Russian Grand Prix been the victim of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, Russian drivers as well, or should I say primary drivers, insofar as Nikita Mazepin, have also been the victim of that Mazepin has been sacked by Haas as a result of his country's actions. He said in a statement he was disappointed to have his contract terminated and he was willing to accept conditions proposed, those basically being by the FIA that he would race under a neutral flag, not too dissimilar for what he was doing last season. But we saw, didn't we, a number of national motorsport institutes, like the UK one, for example, ban him from their respective circuits. So, for example, he wouldn't have been able to race at Silverstone So it begs the question, how much of Haas' decision was linked to A, solidarity with Ukraine and Ukrainians or B, was it linked more to let's say the um, reality that uh, they wouldn't have both drivers, shall we say, or both primary drivers at all of the circuits. But a decision made nonetheless, and Urakali as well the uh, fertiliser producer and exporter, partly owned by Mazepin's dad, Dmitry, has also been stripped from the team. What are our thoughts on this? No Mazepin, no Urakali, we're still unsure about who will take his place but are we surprised by that and what do we think will happen to Haas this season
2: I don't know I still think they'll just be at the back the driver change will it improve them I mean if Pietro Fittipaldi comes in um, perhaps but it's hard to tell he ran okay when he was Magnussen's teammate back at the end of 2020 Um, in terms of your question about have they terminated the contract out of solidarity or out of convenience my gut says most certainly the latter. Um, whilst I am sure that the Hass F one team has great sadness for the plight of Ukrainians, as we all do, of course, um, I think that it just when it all came out, they 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 would end up having no choice but to t- terminate Euro, their contract with Eurocarli and also their contract with Mazepin. Um, a lot of this world that we live in, for better or for worse, is about image and how you portray yourself and how it's, how how things look and being in partnership with a russian sponsor and a russian driver in the middle of a period of our history where there's a russian invasion of another sovereign state that's not a good look and that would make hass more unpopular less desirable less like um, yeah less of a good look for for sponsors for partners for anyone who'd want to invest in the team so i think that they would have done it out of convenience or out of wanting to preserve their image um which arguably didn't wasn't great already by the fact they had a russian flag painted on an american car last year um but separate point um i so i think that in terms of the team will they see an upturn in results hard to tell unless they hire someone with more experience like like, I don't know, Nico Hülkenberg or Antonio Giovinazzi. Um But if they hire someone who has had a less than sparkling Formula uh, junior Formula career up to this point in Pietro Fittipaldi, then will their performance improve? Hard to tell. They look like they might have a chance of not finishing last this year because Alfa Romeo's car looks pretty dreadful. Uh, Williams look like they're sort of similar to where they were. Um, but of course they now haven't got Mr. Saturday, George Russell himself, to drag the car up the grid. Um, so, like I said, I think it won't necessarily affect too much their prospects, but for their image and their their reputation, they, they simply had to end the contract. And yeah, you, you make a, f- a point about, um, would it be inconvenient for them to field a driver for 20 races and then for two races in a year or whatever, whoever Motorsport Association banned Mazepin. Would that be an inconvenience? Yes, it would. But the greater inconvenience to them would be the damage to their reputation. So I think for that, they had no choice for themselves and also no choice in the eyes of the public to ditch Mazepin, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, I can't lie. It's, it's the weirdest way a driver has lost their contract in... in I can think of, possibly in Formula 1 history, to be honest let us be clear
1: i mean has his hass's decision to ditch him um mean hmm. he, he has there's no reason why they he couldn't drive for them uh, the british formula or the british racing um establishment has banned Russian drivers, however, a quirk in that um it might well be that because the f i a hasn't banned Russian and Belarusian drivers. They might actually be overruled by the FIA, so Masbin might well have been able to compete anyway. I and mean, a bit, bit bizarre. It depends, um, really, on on who has the higher authority. But it could, could well have been the FIA. I mean, Haas, unfortunately hasn't been able to catch a break <laughs> um, hmm. for for years. I mean, as a bit of a trivia, if you'd like to know something funny, the uh, the the plane that's supposed to be transporting the Hass's F1 cars and equipment to Bahrain has broken down in Istanbul Um, so the freight is in London so uh, whether or not they're going to be able to get over to to Bahrain for the 10th to do do testing is another matter Um, it reminds me of Williams back in 2020 when they failed to get to testing on time although this is kind of testing to um, reveal Boogaloo so I'm I don't really want to, you know, I don't want to analyze the testing that we've just had. Um, really. I guess I know you say that Alfa Romeo looks slow and, and Williams does. Yes, but let's face it. These times are not representatives of the end. Uh, the end result. What the cars will actually look like. All teams are keeping that very, very tight. Some people are even speculating that Al- Alpine have purposely been running their car very, very slow. Um, and apart from the, the odd mishap with their engine, um, which decided to explode or as we would say, um, un, uh, unscheduled disassembly, then, uh, you know, they might actually be looking really fast, but unfortunately Mazepin was always an odd driver and he is an odd driver. He'll go down a history, I think with a, uh, a, a we you know, one of those weird drivers that we had for a, for a year that no one will really remember. Um, I would kind of throw someone like Bruno Senna into that mix, actually. Um, Ayrton's um, nephew. Um, again, sort of came into the sport with the whole Senna name, but never really got anywhere, actually. Um, and so, you know, departed. Uh, and obviously very different, very different ways. But, you know, there are some similarities. Both kind of got into the sport because of who they were. And um, maybe we'll compare Bruno Senna to um,
2: uh, someone like uh, Pietro Fittipaldi. Um I think that's I think that's mm. doing Bruno Senna a, dis, a disservice personally. He, but I'm the, in terms of comparing Mazepin, the ones that I was asked by one of the uh, people I work with, who's also an F1 fan, is is Mazepin the worst driver you've seen? Um, I, I feel so bad for the bloke saying this, but um, like I'd probably say yes. The one, the other ones that came to mind in terms of drivers, he looked and you thought, oh, I don't know if they're up to it. Admittedly, they're all driving bottom of the grid cars but ones that spring to mind, are ones like Narain carter for hrt oh, yes. a few years back um maybe someone maybe someone like charles peak when he drove for marussia he wasn't particularly rapid um even to be honest marcus Ericsson was very uninspiring i know he's i, I know he's <laughs> won races in IndyCar, car which fair play he must he definitely has talent but in f1 he was very
0: uninspiring um yeah. He memory. was very similar to Giovinazzi. I thought, like he was always meant to be mm. this great thing that came in and did a wondrous job, but somehow, despite doing not a wondrous job, people thought, oh, no, there's something still on the tank there." Believe me, but like, I just, I just know. <laughs> J- Jolian, Jolian, sorry, Jolian Palmer.
2: Even though he's a class pundit, yeah. racing driver, ha- racing is yeah, not his strength. He wasn't that good either. But
1: in, in, in no. Mazapin's defence, if you didn't watch the season last year, and actually even. I went back and watched a three-minute video of every single one of Mazepin's spins, and the one thing I notice is the car is a dog. It's awful. It's so yeah. unbalanced. There was a there was a um, an interview with Roman Grosjean about the, the the season before discussing that how bad the Haas car was, and he said that the the Haas cars had this. Overheating problem that would upset the balance that, and it felt like there was a sort of four percent change in the balance per lap. And wow. watching some of Mazepin's struggles because Schumacher spun a lot as well. It looked like the car would be going around a corner and then suddenly the back would mm. just whip round. So Mazepin, yeah, I wouldn't. I would say that he's probably the worst driver in terms of like his performance i do think if you put him in like a a williams he might be able to hold his own against someone like latifi maybe he wouldn't beat latifi but he'd definitely be able to hold his own i think but i would say that his equipment definitely dampened his raw talent and what raw talent there there was there you know that mm. he isn't he is still fast he always qualified if you like so and there are many drivers who never did that Mm. so he's not probably not the worst in history but i would probably say that he is he's probably had the worst possible start to an f1 season of in my living memory and i've been watching Formula one since i was six so 2003
0: yeah, I mean, with him, it's a weird one because when you look at his F2 career, he did okay in so far, I believe he was fifth or sixth in the last season before going up to Formula One. But when you consider he started 21 races and spanned 22 times, you've got to think to yourself, that's quite a record to be setting. And sure, yes, the tech wasn't great, but there was times where he was even, you know, close to a minute behind his teammate, and there was even a golfing class between someone who was literally in the same equipment as him, because I can't imagine that they were given radically different cars because they were both di- important in their own different ways, um, shall we say. But Mazepin leaving now, I feel like he'll always be one of those drivers who everyone goes, oh, remember Mazepin? Oh, yeah, yeah, the girl that was there for a year, came in <laughs> <Mazel on> controversially. <laughs> absolutely. Left in similar fashion as well. But I think, you know, both in the short term and in the long term, I think Formula One is better without the Mazapins, senior and junior. As we say, he was quite clearly brought in by Haas because he brought more money than talent, but he wasn't completely inept, as we say. But for him to leave now, I think is, you know, good for Haas. You know, they didn't have to do it, but they made the decision and that was the right one. Uh, and him leaving as well, I think, is is for the betterment. The question now, once again, is who takes his place who replaces him you've had uh, Gunter Steiner saying he'll be the first one, this is Fittipaldi to take the seat if Mazepin were to exit, but then again you have Mr. Gene Hass himself saying, and I quote Pietri will be in for testing, that's what he's for as a test driver I think we'd obviously like to get someone with a bit more actual experience though when it comes to the races <coughs> Sorry. yes, yes, there we go there we go, yes <laughs> But, um, but yes, it, it very much means or it looks that way that there is going to be somebody else in that seat and you would lean towards Giovinazzi over Hülkenberg, as we say, owing to the Ferrari connections. But then again, as Angus, I believe, pointed out last episode, of course, Giovinazzi is a test driver for Ferrari, so it depends how much they want to be leasing him out, shall we say, because, you know, being a driver of a house is a full-time job, believe it or not, so... um. <laughs> You can't you can't exactly be poodling away back to um, uh, back to the Scuderia uh, factory and garage to go and test out the new spec. But um, yeah, only time will tell. What do we think? Well, I think we should talk about uh, Fittipaldi, given that
1: he's going to be in testing, um, because he hasn't exactly had a sparkling career up to this point, and his journey into Formula One has been. Well, quite a lot of luck. And someone on the internet has done a much better job of, of describing this his journey than I could. But just in short, um, he will start in... About 2017, when he raced in the World Series Formula V8 3.5 series, um, which offered 35 super license points out of your 40. You need 40 super license points to get to Formula One. You can have those and get accumulate those points in any way you'd like. Uh, this particular series gave them 35, but it was full of not very good drivers. <laughs> the, uh, he actually won this series um, up against some drivers that you had never heard of, like Roy Nissani. Nope me neither um <laughs> anyway, so he 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 um he wins that, but then that that folds that series actually folds with him being the the, the champion, so yeah, he gets those points um then in twenty eighteen he has an accident in spa, uh, at spa, and uh, he he breaks his legs actually, so that that's you know terribly unlucky, um by all accounts because he's then out, he should actually lose his points. But <laughs> he asks if, um, he asks the FIA if he can keep them. And they're like, yeah, you can keep them. You can keep those points. Which is, um, <laughs> to say, yeah, it's a little bit like, oh, okay, fair enough. There are lots of people who don't get to keep their points if they have some bad luck. I'm just pointing that out. It's not because I'm being mean to him, it's just because I think it shouldn't be one rule for someone who, um, uh, for one and uh, another rule for someone else anyway so um he then enters DTM in 2019 and and gets a, a handful of points before going to the Asian F3 series um and then he, get, he gets fifth um to get six points to get over the 40 um and he, he does all right there but it is nothing that, that that special and so then covid 19 occurs and two of the drivers ahead of him um ...decided to pull out the series... ...and although... <laughs> ...though he should have then got fourth... ...because he was in sixth... ...and the two people ahead of him... ...pulled out... ...he uh... ...Jamie Chadwick... ...from the W series... ...as we now know her... ...um... ...actually pipped him... ...to fourth place... ...and so he got fifth place... ...which was just enough points... ...to get to 40... ...so he is only here... ...because he managed to get... ...35 points... in a ...in a race series... ...that no longer exists... <laughs> Broke his legs, and the FIA very nicely allowed him to keep those points. And then COVID occurred, and two people in front of him pulled out, and he just about scrapes in in the forty to get to the forty super license points. This man needs to go get some lottery tickets because that that is crazy to get to get to where he is. But notice that none of that did I say he won like you know. Formula Two or Formula Three, or you know, came stonking back after you know winning the the three point five series he did in twenty seventeen to to demonstrate to the world how brilliant he was. You know, in a, in an underdog sort of fashion. I don't want to say he's just there because of his name, but I think he's just there because he's because of his name, and <laughs> I. I don't think it's particularly good. But, you know, any time will tell, I guess. Let's see how he does in testing. But, you know, I would rather we have Giovinazzi in the car than um, Fittipaldi.
0: Well, it's quite interesting you say that because there's still rumours going on that Piastri, Oscar Piastri, who won F2 last season, apparently there is still a chance he could be getting uh, the seat vacated by Nikita Mazepin, according to BBC Sports, um, which makes you think that someone at Holkenberg is completely out of the picture now and it's now a three-way fight between Piastri, we hope, Giovinazzi, unfortunately, and Fittipaldi, obviously. Um, but I'm, I'm not too sure <laughs> out of those... Th- out of those three if I'm looking at it from a has perspective which one I would prefer because they all have, as we say have different advantages and different um, benefits to bringing them in. Piastri, of course, knows the camp, knows the team, been the reserve driver, so he's got that sort of loyalty and experience factor. Giovinazzi, of course, of course more experience in Formula 1 as a whole and brings in some money because he's Italian and can reach the pedals. And then you've got um, Piastri, of course, with the raw <laughs> talent. So, um,
2: it's so
1: scathing.
0: Well, well, you know, my thoughts on, on Giovinazzi, it's nothing personal, of course, but... <laughs>
2: I've managed to find an article backed up in Planet F1 and Give Me Sport, which says that there's three drivers in line to replace Mazepin are Piastri, Fittipaldi and Jean Deruvela from F2 as well. Mm. So, I think Pia- Piastri would be the obvious choice out of those, but um, there are other reasons for the other two. Fittipaldi, because of the name, because of the sponsorship he would bring. Uh, Deruvela, Quite proven in F two, also another. I mean, if, if we always talk about um, expanding F one's markets. The Indian market there is open for, is open if he's uh, if he's employed. Just like the Chinese market is now open to Alpha Romeo with Zhou Guanyu. Um, but, um, but yeah, I think I think Piastri will be like what well, oh, he should. He should be in it. I mean, he's he's a talented driver and he should be in there on merit anyway. Um, but i mean any time will tell i could see Haas playing it safe and going with Fittipaldi simply because he knows the team he knows the setup you know the usual stuff he won't need a new contract
1: that's the other thing for you got Mm. to remember that the the, the time is ticking and they have to announce it pretty darn soon short notice and has i mean it has irritated me last week because it was leaked in three different directions that that Mazepin was going and they went no he's not going, no he's not going, no he's not going, by the way he's going and then went really? <laughs> um, like, we know this and by the way Mazepin is holding a press conference on Wednesday um, and I'm going to tune in and watch it Interesting, because I really want to know what Mazepin's going to say because if I was Mazepin I'd go out quietly. I'd go out quietly with the let's say the 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 thought that if I go out quietly and nicely and then I can maybe play my way back into Formula One in the future. Mm. But something tells me he might not. So I'll, re- I'll report back next week on what Mazapin actually says at his press conference. I'm hoping it's, you know, he'd like to thank everyone um, for his time in, in Formula One and that uh, he looks forward to coming back in. But it could be spicy. We never know. Um, so, yeah. But to- Tom, out of those three, what's your choice? Who would you pick if you were
0: Gene Haas, you know, the man, the myth, the Ooh. legend? Who would you take? such power I feel now all of a sudden Um, I say Piastri um, because you've got Schumacher with the money coming in for one also not to mention the raw talent as well and getting Piastri and I think would be somebody who could potentially drag the car up than it's uh, meaning to be in terms of where it should be placed uh, in the constructors if that makes sense I think you could always go for Giovinazzi for the sort of safer option of as I say experience in Formula 1 and he brings in money but it's quite an uninspiring decision I feel um, I always like to think of Haas as the team that's prepared to go and rock the boat and do things a bit differently and Giovinazzi mm-hmm. is the very opposite of that in my view um, <laughs> but then again Piastri as a reserve driver would be similar as well because as Gene Haas says you know he's a test driver he's a, he's a reserve driver we have him in there to do that job but not a lot more else and it would show in my view a bit of a lack of ambition as well to just promote Fittipaldi up. Um, because yes, he arguably deserves the chance for being with Haas for so long. And I get that and it's great. But looking back at what you said there, Tristan, regarding his record, you can hardly say he's deserving via merit, really. So, you know, compare him with Piastri, Piastri obviously is, but unlike Fittipaldi, Piastri doesn't have A, the name recognition will be the money as well. So that would be my choice, but I realise that I, we don't live in the idealistic world where talent prevails over all else in Formula 1, of course.
1: No, and that's, That should be a takeaway, really. If you, if you are new to Formula 1, new to our podcast, I think you know, we have said it time and time again that we are almost perpetually frustrated by the lack of foresight, I think, in the sport when it comes to its, its young and up-and-coming talent. And everyone has to start from zero. Not everyone has the silver spoon. Let's not forget that we would not have people like Lewis Hamilton, mm, yeah. you know, in the sport if it was all about money. Because his talent, his raw talent, was incredible, and it is incredible. I mean, he's you know people are starting to nickname name, nickname him the Maestro, and um, I'm inclined to agree there. But I think I agree. I I would love to have you know Piastri come up into into the into team but i mean if we do get Fittipaldi, we will be able to say that we've watched both schumacher and Fittipaldi race against each other um at the same time which is an interesting thing to say um having a having a team that's entirely uh as a result of their of their excellent uh uh racing fathers is is very interesting and i think the first time in history that we'll have um the relatives of other Formula One racing drivers to make up an entire team. Mm. Um, I just wish, like, we had Nico Rosberg as the uh, reserve driver. That'd be incredible.
2: I <laughs> mean, <laughs> absolutely mega. Um, imagine, imagine the insult he would feel. Formula former F1 world champion being asked to be reserve driver to Mick Schumacher and Pietro Fittipaldi. <laughs> well, no, Poor because bloke. he might be like a consultancy sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that to, would be there, quite. Cool. There must be. There must be another one where. I, well, maybe there is. isn't my drivers have been been well Max Verstappen of could go help True. um
1: being the son of Jos uh Damon Hill could come back and um yeah could get into the seat there are there are
2: of course yeah,
1: um yeah, there aren't all the veal that nerves many. the veal nerves there are yeah got yeah, we've got the veal nerves, um I suppose relations you could have Senna come back hmm. and um but anyway, we, I digress. I think we'll report back next week about um, about this particular topic because we should know by then what Hass is actually going to do. I'm not sure
0: they know what they're going to do either. Let's hope they make it to testing on time, eh? Absolutely, yes. And I mean, with, you know, uh, testing taking place in Bahrain from Thursday the 10th through to the 12th, it's got to be a quick turnaround, really, before the next weekend, where they go over to Bahrain and race properly from the uh, 18th onwards. But now looking further up the field, looking now at Aston Martin, and then U-team principal Mike Crack says that ultimately they could be title contenders by 2025. What are our thoughts on that? What do we think that Aston Martin, with the current setup they have, with the new appointment, with the Department of Otmar Safna to Alpine, which we'll get onto, as well as Seb Vettel, Lawrence Stroll, Lance Stroll, all being in the tent, could they could they win a title by twenty twenty five?
2: I think it's feasible, simply because as the years go by, as the regulations, these new regulations, as they, we t- we tend to find with F one history that. As a set of regulations comes in, they tend to start off with the field a bit more spread, but then this year might be an exception, of course, at the front. But then as the years go on, the field gets closer together, closer together, and it gives teams more chances of competing. Now, Aston Martin, what it has in its favour is that. It also has in its favour a serious, serious commitment to F1, and that includes getting the title sponsorship on board of that team, buying that team out, making it Aston Martin, Formula 1 team, building this new state of the art factory and engineering center that they they currently uh, currently is that is currently under construction um the fact that as well they are willing to commit like red like red bull has um now got its own powertrains uh, taking that from honda aston martin i believe is looking to do the same and have its own f1 powertrain um in 2025 or 2026 um I think the fact that Just the fact that money's being pumped in and there's a commitment there and you've got a a an owner in Lawrence Stroll who has a not just a familial commitment to F1 with his son being a driver at the team but also a passion we know, he has a passion for racing cars a passion for um vintage uh, motorsport etc so he's he's a motor he's he's not only a businessman of the of uh, with Tommy Hilfiger or whatever he's um he's with in his um business life he's also a, a store a motorsport man, a motorsport fanatic. Um, other things such as Martin Whitmarsh, Martin Whitmarsh coming on board, um, the experience that he has from McLaren, his years at McLaren, coming into head the racing side of things at the team. Also, their new team principal Mike Crack, who has lots of experience in motorsport as well. Um, the things are being put in place, and I think as long as they As long as they back up their commitment with results on the track, we don't want it to be like a bit like how Alpine and Renault have been with lots of investment but little return, or how Jaguar were at the start of the 2000s when Ford bought out, um, bought a racing, bought an F1 team, and then pumped a load of money in but didn't really know how to run a team. Um, And they soon uh, sold on to Red Bull. Um, But Aston Martin, they've got to back up their their words and their commitment with results, I think. But all all the foundations are there as long as the money's spent correctly, as long as they recruit the right people. They're recruiting some good people. Um the drivers may I mean they will inevitably have to replace Sebastian Vettel when he retires in the next couple of years. Um but if they get that decision right and if they if they back up their commitment with their factory, their facilities then it's it's possible, but again, it's a super competitive F one field. It's competitive enough in the midfield where Aston Martin will probably find themselves this year again. Um, but to get to the top, even more competitive. So it's an interesting statement, but I don't think it's completely beyond the realms of possibility. But it does need that commitment that to ba- that it needs them to back up their um, their statements.
1: My crack uh, is definitely. I think someone who can lead the team now that Otmar uh, Safnau has has disappeared uh, over to Alpine. I think whether you think Otmar was the driving force behind uh, Force India's success and uh, Racing Point's success before they changed their name to uh, Aston Martin, I think will be down to personal opinion. I mean, I don't know. I don't think the ingredients that made Force India good, you know, when back in their last sort of last sort of season, when they were called Force India has disappeared. The same engineers are there. In fact, they've poached. Aston Martin has poached some Red Bull engineers. Yeah. And although the leadership is important, remember a a boss cracks the whip, a leader leads, you know, it's not about the guy at the top. And I think Toto Wolf highlights that a lot. I I think he would be the first to admit he doesn't really know how to make an F1 car. But what he can do is encourage a team and, and create a good environment. And I, I, I think he does, actually. I am, even when it was Hamilton versus Rosberg back in 2016, and that was very, very toxic. I think someone like Toto Wolf, that sort of team principal, did a very good job. Of, uh, managing that now the I think Mike Crack given his where he's come from you know having actually been part of of like Saber BMW in the past he has some F1 experience there but you know he is he is more known for um the Petit Le Mans and uh that side of of, of racing you know I I think he is I think he is is pretty good and I don't think Ottmar did necessarily a great job last year let's not forget that Aston Martin was hardly you know <laughs> waiting in the wings for third or fourth place last year they they didn't do particularly well at all and so it's maybe time to try something new you know there is an argument to be had that Lawrence Stroll and Otmar weren't getting on there were rumors there um, that they they were having arguments, and so when the guy giving you all the money and the person leading the team aren't getting on, maybe that's time to to move on. And so yeah, I think they they could well be um, nearish the top this year. It's such an open season because of we've got the the rules and regulation changes. Aston Martin's got such a radically different car; they've taken the uh, some some engineers from Red Bull they've changed up the management system they've got a new new team principal someone with some experience but more importantly good experience in other racing categories that that idea of fresh eyes fresh mind could really come into fruition and hey let's face it Otmar has now gone to Alpine and so he will have taken all of his thoughts all his prejudices away so no, I'm optimistic, Tom. Mm. Yeah, you know, I think I think Aston Martin could do well this year. I said that last year, though, in yeah, fairness, and they ended up being rubbish. But let's not forget that they had copied the uh, the Mercedes design, which got massively inhibited by the rule change to do with. Um, the floor and the uh, how complicated that could be. So new design of cars, new management, some new engineers, but the same old recipe for success that you know, Racing Point and before them, um, Force India had. So yeah, I think they could do quite well.
0: Yeah, I've not got too much to add really in terms of Aston Martin moving forwards, but the whole departure of Otmar Safna from Aston Martin 12P along with BWT a key sponsor for Force India and Racing Point going over to an Alpine car is just a bit weird in my view. It's almost like, to use a footballing analogy, you've got Arsenal's Mikel Arteta going to Man United and taking Fly Emirates with him. I mean, it's a bit of a weird one to jump. Almost from sideways to sideways, from midfield to midfield. And I mean we'll never know, realistically until he writes his memoirs, how important Omar was to the success of uh, Force India, Racing Point and Aston Martin. But he stayed during all those transitions, all those turmoils where we weren't sure whether there would be an Aston Martin team, or indeed Racing Point will be able to finish the entire season owing to financial issues. And we know that he was so important getting that long term agreement with Mercedes in two thousand fourteen which helped propel them up uh, the leaderboard shall we say in the constructors so there's no doubt he's a big figure in Formula 1 of course he's been there for so long from 2009 to well 21 so there's the case that experience can always be a good thing but then also as you say not always be great if you're always wanting to do things your way and um, not listen to new ideas and perhaps can't see the wood from the trees and so far that you've been there for so long but I, I do find it a bit of a weird situation really but then again i suppose last season we saw renault transition into alpine things were looking a bit strange there in terms of they were losing key people things were looking not as engaged but then again they came up trumps and did quite well although they were quite an isolated figure a really interesting one though one to keep an eye on i feel for this season at very least yeah and you know I think to
1: some extent, we maybe put a little bit too much emphasis on the on the team principle. I'm a big believer that it's everyone underneath them that makes you know the biggest difference in an f one team
0: mm-hmm. and so ends another episode of f one in review. Thank you very much for listening all the way to the end of this episode, whether you're listening on River Radio live or via the uh, Listen again feature or on your preferred podcast provider. Your Apple, your Spotify's, your Podfollows, whatever your preferred one may be. Now, next week we're looking at the final episode before the season starts in Bahrain. Looking at testing there, which takes place from Thursday. All the way through to Saturday and then making our predictions of who's going to do well, who's not going to do so well, who may surprise us and who may be the race winners and indeed winners of the Drivers' and Constructors' Championships. Lest we forget the bold predictions we made last time and how some of them came great (laughs) and some of them didn't. So keep that in mind fellas when we're making our predictions because you are being recorded and you are being held accountable at basically a few months on from when the season ends. But until next time, thank you very much for listening.